Father, I thank you for the grace and mercy that you've shown us. I thank you for the work on the cross of your Son. Lord Jesus, we gather this morning to glorify you and to lift your name up. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have given us all that we need. I ask, Father God, that as we celebrate this morning and as we fellowship and cry out to you, that you will transform us, that you will strengthen us, and that we will have a a great expectation for eternity with you. I ask, Father God, that the words this morning would be of you and not of me. Transform us, Father God, by the power of your word. In Christ's name, amen. This is our last Sunday in our series of parables that we've been looking at. And the parable this morning comes from a very fantastic passage. It's a sermon that Jesus delivered. It's usually called the Olivet Discourse. The disciples came to Jesus and asked him for information about when the end times would be. What, what's going to happen? And Jesus gives them this, this message, and, and it's in uh, Matthew 24 and 25. And the parable today is, in, is from Matthew 25, beginning in verse 1. Let's read this parable. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, There will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert, for you do not know the day nor the hour. As with all of the parables that we've looked at, Jesus uses something that's very simple and very familiar to teach a more complex concept. The simple story here is a Jewish wedding. The wedding in, in Jewish customs and in, in Jewish society was, was perhaps the greatest social event that would occur. They were huge. Because it was so well known, everyone who heard this parable, everyone who heard the words of Jesus would clearly understand what Jesus was talking about because they understood wedding. Well, a Jewish wedding is very different than the weddings that we're used to. Um, we're not familiar with Jewish customs. So to understand the parable, we need to spend a little bit of time with Jewish marriage. 
There were three components to a Jewish marriage. The first component was the engagement. The engagement was all about fathers. Fathers made that arrangement. They were arranged marriages. So the couple wasn't really even involved in the engagement. It was up to the dads. And I don't know about you. I mean, I have three daughters, and I tried. I, I would have chosen... Well, I had three picked out. And, well, that didn't work. Would that be awkward? I'm, I'm looking for some single... You know, you're just about old enough to be married. Is she old enough, Dad? <laughs> <clears throat> you don't need to answer now how awkward that would be. But that's the first part of a Jewish wedding was two dads got together and went, yeah, let's get them together. That was the engagement. This was an official contract, but the official contract was between two dads, two fathers. The second component of a Jewish marriage was the betrothal. And there was an official ceremony, a betrothal ceremony. And in this ceremony, the couple would make vows and binding promises in the presence of family and friends. Very similar to what we would call a marriage ceremony today. In Jewish culture, at this point, when this ceremony takes place, the couple is officially married. To break the betrothal required a legal divorce. We see this in their culture, and it's, it's really quite amazing. If the husband dies during the betrothal, the, the wedding has not been, the, the marriage has not been consummated, and, the, and the, the groom dies, the woman in society is considered a, a widow. The betrothal could last for a year. Now, during this time, what's, what's going on? It's very important, and it's a very interesting concept. I could preach all morning just on this concept because it applies so, so, it is so interesting spiritually. Because during this betrothal time, the groom would be getting the home ready. He would be preparing a home for his bride. It might be an addition to his father's house, or he might be building a new house for them. But he's all about and involved in what would be needed to care for her and begin a family. The groom was to provide a place for his bride. That is what's happening during the betrothal. Then you have the third part of a Jewish wedding. The third part looks like this. The husband finishes the preparations. When those preparations are finished, he would go to the bride's home and take her to his home, to their new home. And it's this third part of a Jewish marriage that is the illustration that Jesus uses in this parable. In this third part of a Jewish marriage, the bridegroom comes with his men and takes his bride, who's waiting with her bridesmaids, and they parade through the village, they, they celebrate, they have this processional through the city, and they're celebrating and singing this event would almost always occur at night 
so that everyone in the community could enjoy the festivity. It was was a part of their culture, very important. So you wanted as much of the community involved as possible. The bride and groom would come to their new home and and there'd be this celebration, a meal and all the parts that go with, with celebrating. And sometimes in their culture, the wedding celebration, this part of the celebration, would last seven days. It was expensive just for us for one afternoon. I can imagine seven days. At the end of the celebration, the closest friend of the groom, we would call him the, the best man, would take the bride's hand and place it in the hand of the groom, and everyone would see this happening. And that would be the cue. Everybody would leave. The party's over. The bride and groom would remain in their new home and the marriage would be consummated. That's the story that Jesus uses in this parable. We also need to understand some other components that are in this parable, like the ten virgins. There's a lot has been written about the virgins. Don't over-spiritualize. Virgins is from a Greek term meaning unmarried girl. Simple. Keep it at that. These would have been very close friends to the bride. There's nothing important about them being virgins. It simply fits the Jewish custom. That's what they did. Being virgins doesn't represent some greater spirituality. You just can't go there. They are just part of the cultural simplicity of the story. In, this, in the parable and in a Jewish marriage, the virgins have lamps. And I struggle a little bit with the English lamps there because it comes from the Greek lampas, and it, means, it can mean torch or lamp. And I believe that torch would be more appropriate. They're going to they're gonna celebrate by, by parading through the streets. And, and we also know that there's been research done, and they would have these torches held above their heads, above the crowd as they make their way through the community. It would be a source of light and and part of the celebration. So what we think would be more appropriate is to think of a torch. A long pole, probably wood, with some kind of container at the end where cloth would be placed, and that cloth would be soaked in oil. Many sources also describe a common practice of having a small flask of oil to re-soak the cloth to keep the the torch burning throughout this processional. This was their culture. This was their tradition. We also see that Jesus specifically says there's ten. Ten was a very common number in Jewish tradition. Ten was considered to represent completion. Ten people were required if you're going to have a Paschal Supper. Ten men were needed for there to be a synagogue. Ten men were to give a blessing at a wedding. So we also see that, it, that the ten bridesmaids fits in to the custom of the Jews. There's ten. Why ten? That's the custom. These ten bridesmaids have come to be with their friend. They bring with them their torches. That's part of what they do. It's, it's very similar to our bridesmaids in our weddings. They, they might carry flowers or, or light candles or carry candles or, or some of those kinds of customs in our traditions. 
these young women would know the groom would come at any moment. They didn't know the specific time. So they're dressed for the occasion. They have their torches and and at least five of them, the five prudent ones, have a flask of oil. Well, they wait. They wait. And they wait long enough that they fall asleep. And some have tried to apply all kinds of spiritual issues about them falling asleep. Again, don't over-spiritualize. They waited a long time. It's in the evening. They fell asleep. There isn't anything wrong or bad about them falling asleep. All, t- all ten of them fall asleep. The wise ones and, and the foolish. The problem begins to appear that takes us to the teaching of the parable. And that problem is that the foolish did not bring that flask of oil. They didn't have oil with them. So then, as the story goes, the parable goes in verse 6, Jesus tells us at midnight the cry was made and the the bridegroom is coming. The cry is made. So the the announcement is made so that the, the bridesmaids can get ready. It's at midnight. Now that to us might seem odd, but the point that Jesus is making with this is that it is an unexpected time. The time that the bridegroom comes is unexpected. Going on in verse 7, the virgins wake up, they trim their torches. The celebration is about to begin and the foolish virgins realize, oh man, we don't have oil. They weren't prepared. They asked the, the wise young ladies to give them oil because their lamps are going out. The wise virgins don't give them oil. And here we begin to see the parable, the story becoming important and clear. Think of this parable this way. Jesus is the bridegroom. The virgins are professed followers of Jesus. They're part of the church. The oil is, is the grace of salvation. It represents true salvation through faith in Jesus. The oil is a transformed life. Of those young maidens, five were outwardly followers. They were connected socially and, and possibly intellectually they had some kind of connection. But they did not have transformed hearts. That's important to understanding the parable. There have been some who have taken this idea of, of the, the wise virgins not sharing their oil, and they've turned this into a parable about selfishness. That's not what this is about. The parable is a story, it's a, it's a teaching about being prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Being prepared for the coming of Jesus what does it begin with? How do, we, how do we know if we're prepared? Well, the first part of that is, are you saved? We also see in this story that the wise ones didn't give their oil to the, to the foolish ones. They had to go buy oil. And, and that doesn't mean that you can buy 
what you, salvation. You can't, you can't buy it. You, you can't somehow buy your salvation. And, and the other part is you, you, you can't expect a believer to drag you into the kingdom. That doesn't work either. And even though we, we would very definitely know that salvation is not something you purchase, you can't get saved because of somebody else, you can't be dragged into the kingdom, it does cost something. What does it cost? Everything. It costs everything. It costs your life. Verse 9, the wise bridesmaids tell the foolish to go and buy what you need. It doesn't mean that it's, salvation is purchasable. When we talk about salvation, salvation does have a cost. It's everything. We saw that in, in two other parables that we've looked at in our series. The treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. The oil that is spoken of was, was needed... And it, and it was available, but not at midnight. They, they didn't have it when they needed it. The foolish virgins had an opportunity to acquire oil, but they chose not to. There are people in the church who are unprepared to face God. They are unprepared for that moment when they, they could be called into the presence of Jesus. In many ways, this teaching is scary, and there are some who really don't like to hear this kind of stuff. It's difficult. Yet, this is a teaching that Jesus gave over and over. Let's look at a couple places. Remember Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who, who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who is heard and has not acted accordingly is, is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of the house was great. There are some in the church who have religion. Maybe they've been religious all their life. Maybe they were born into a church. Maybe they've just been involved in the church their entire lives. But they have no foundation. They have not been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. They have no oil. They might have the outward trappings but not the inward change. Back in Matthew 25, verse 10, the foolish bridesmaids go. They, they, they went to buy oil. And while they were gone, the bridegroom came. He comes. The procession starts. The celebration begins. And, and then those who were prepared are with him. And, and they're celebrating. And the whole community is in this this time of celebration, they go to the house and the door is shut. The door is shut. I mean, very, very important part of the, the parable. And, and this idea of the door being shut reminds me of Noah. We know that it probably took him at least 100 years, maybe more, to build the ark. 
I don't know about you, but if, you know, if, if you're building an ark in your backyard at that time, you're going to get some questions. And Noah is referred to as a, as a righteous man. So I think when, when his neighbors come and go, what are you doing in the backyard? This, doesn't, this isn't going to look good with the homeowners association. And they ask questions. The righteousness of Noah, he's going to respond. God is bringing judgment. He's bringing judgment. You, you haven't repented. You, you need to know that God has, has a standard. I can imagine Noah preaching the truth about who God is. More questions would come, and then it begins to rain. And the water's rising, and Noah's the only one who's got a boat. The word tells us that God shut the door. So here all, here's all these people trying to tread water. And they're desperate. But the only salvation at that time was for those in the ark. The door was shut. And for those outside of the ark, there was no chance to be saved. The foolish virgins were unprepared for the celebration. And they still tried to get into the celebration, but the door is shut. They miss the celebration. The message is that the door is open now. Right now, the door is open. But there will be a time when the door will be shut. And there will be some who will not be ready. And yes, in this parable, Jesus is speaking about the end of the tribulation. But the lesson is for us today as well, because we do not know when God will call us home. We don't know when our lives will end. I don't know the number of my days, do you? But God does. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to stand before the creator of the universe if we've not prepared primarily through accepting Jesus as Savior, the door will be shut. This is difficult. But it's what the Word says. This message is also similar to, to one of the most frightening passages in all of Scripture. It's in Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And he then tells the story that we read earlier. That's frightening. That's frightening. To stand before God and have God say, I don't know who you are. There's another time that Jesus addresses this. It's in, we find it in Luke 13, beginning in verse 23. Someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. 
For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. That's scary. Now let's keep that in mind as we go back to our parable 2511. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. They were connected in some way to the bride. They were probably known by the groom in some way. But the door was shut. They weren't allowed in. I don't know you. What's the point? There's no second chance. Are you ready? No matter when the return of Christ, no matter when that's occurring, no matter what your idea or your belief is of the end times, no matter how you want to describe your eschatology, there is a certain absolute essential fact. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? And for a believer, when you hear those words, there's something that stirs inside of you, or at least it should. Jesus is coming back. How exciting is that? But if you're not ready, the door will be shut. The only way to be certain you're ready is to first, first have a saving relationship with Jesus. And this whole di- idea of, of being prepared and this, this, this story is unfolding, it brings us to the warning that Jesus is giving, which is very important in this parable. Verse 13, he says, Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Be on the alert. Be ready. For you, you know neither the day or the hour. You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know when the Son of Man is going to come. These words, you don't know the day or the hour, were repeated by Jesus in this sermon in Matthew 25, 24 and 25 five times. Chapter 24, verse 36, he says it. Then in verse 42, then in verse 44, then in 50, and then here in verse 13 of chapter 25. You don't know when it's going to happen. His warning then should be very, very clear. You don't know when he's coming, so you need to be ready. Yes, you don't know is true in terms of the second coming. No one knows when the second coming of Jesus is actually going to occur. But it's also true for your life. 
You do not know the number of your days. You do not know when your life will come to an end and you will stand before God. Are you ready? If your life is all about the cares of this world and you're not prepared, the door will be shut. Once you depart from this life, there is no second chance. Watch, pray, be alert, be prepared. Don't be caught unprepared. That's the message of this parable. And it's huge for us. It's sobering. Are we ready? There's times I examine my own life and I go, am I? Whoa. Because I see all this stuff. I have to go back and I have to remember I believe in Jesus. I know what Jesus has done. I confess my sins. I work at my relationship with Him. This whole message, this whole parable should motivate us to be ready. And it should motivate us in two ways. The first is to do that. Examining. Are we saved? That's the first examining. Have we taken Jesus as Savior? Is he, is he Lord over our life? If you're here this morning and, and you've never made that decision, make that decision today. Make it now. Don't put it off. If you put it off, the door may be shut. If you're watching this, wherever you're at, choose Jesus. Choose Him. Pursue Him. Be saved. The second way this parable should motivate us is for believers. For every believer who who hears this parable, we should be motivated to passionately proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, we, if we're doing that, if we're proclaiming the gospel, then we're, we're bringing others to a place where they can be prepared for the coming celebration. The celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's a huge celebration. The message is be prepared. The celebration of the Son of God coming for His bride. Believers, we are the bride. His coming will happen. He's coming back. Be prepared. Live with that expectation. The bridegroom is coming. The king is coming. Father, thank you. That at some point, it doesn't matter when, those who believe will be taken into the place of celebration and we will be able to feast with Jesus. Father, help us to find those places in our life that we need to yield. Help us in our preparation as believers and help us to be 
proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would proclaim the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus while the door is open. Father, I ask that those who don't know you that are listening right now, they would come to know you while the door is open. Father, be glorified. Father, be glorified. Jesus, be glorified. Holy Spirit, stir us up. Use us. Father, I thank you that as believers, we have all of eternity to celebrate. Help us, Father. Strengthen us and encourage us that our future is secure in your Son. Amen.